gang welcome to the real housewives of riverdale the podcast where grown-ass adults take sexy teen murder mysteries just as seriously as you do i'm your host sheree and today we're discussing season two episode six of riverdale chapter 19 death proof this is in reference to a 2007 tarantino film starring kurt russell zoe bell and rosario dawson and like my husband has made me watch a thousand Tarantino movies, but this is one I've never seen. And based on the IMDb description, I'm super cool with the fact that I've never seen it. So the description is two separate, oh, the IMDb description, by the way, is two separate sets of voluptuous women are stalked at different times by a scarred stuntman who uses his death proof cars to execute his murderous plans. That sounds awful and gross and... No, thank you. Um, also, it should be noted that deathproof cars are a specific type of car that some people use in movies and TV and such that are, in fact, deathproof. I don't know. They're made a certain way where, like, they're not going to kill the stunt guy, I guess. Whatever. That's the thing. I think they explain it better on the Riverdale Register um, for this episode. If you want to hop over there and listen to um, listen to them explain it, that's probably a better idea. I think John goes into pretty good detail about it, but I know nothing about cars. So why would I know something about specific cars? I I mean, you just can't expect this kind of information out of me. I mean, really, what podcast are you even listening to? Okay. So this episode starts off in Jughead's trailer where he's tappity tap tapping away on his laptop, presumably working on his manuscript when, well, 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 who should come around the corner in an oversized S t-shirt? Tony fucking Topaz. I would be amiss to say that um, if I forgot to mention that Hot Dog was there. He is. And as much as I love him, I just can't with this scene. So, like, do you do you feel those rumblings? What is that? Was it an earthquake? No. Just millions of teens rioting in the streets. Like, if you can see through your rage right now, you can witness Tony ask Jughead if he's finger quotes hungry okay horny I mean come on and of course he says yes because he's a teen boy and because he's Jughead he says oh you never have to ask me that and then she heads back into the bedroom I mean I know they're just like well Jughead's always hungry because he always has a cheeseburger whatever that was so like heavy-handed hungry means horny it's ridiculous okay so um, moving over to Betty, feeling guilty over choosing Nick St. Clair as the, the Black Hood's next victim. Betty races over to the Five Seasons, hair completely out of a ponytail, so you know she's really spiraling. Um, and she's slowly going through the door to the St. Clair suite, hoping to save him, but she's shocked to find him alive. Granted, he is covered in bruises all over his face, and he's dressed in a white bathrobe, twirling a knife on a wood drawer, like that's fucking creepy. Nick asks if she's here to finish what the girls already did to him last night. And then his parents walk in and ask why he's not dressed. And then (laughs) Sheriff Keller walks in and then the entire cast comes in. (laughs) Sheriff Keller arrives with a fellow cop to escort Nick to the police station due to a complaint, you know, that he like tried to rape Cheryl. (laughs) Um, The sheriff is 
shocked but also not so shocked to see that Betty is also here and is just like fuck Betty stay out of shit and go home please she calls the black hood outside of the hotel which how I mean she doesn't have his number it's unlisted but whatever she asks why he didn't go after Nick and the black hood explains that he didn't kill Nick because he was Nick was not one of Riverdale's sons he's uh, Manhattan son. <laughs> but Betty's like, uh, what? And he says, it's okay, Betty. You've given me the most wonderful gift, which is showing me your true colors. And then he says, um, after this, the true work can begin. And then in the middle of asking a question, the blackhead abruptly ends a call. Um, so I don't know what happened there. And then she gets a you up text from Archie, which is kind of hilarious. Uh, moving over to the Pembroke, we witnessed the most troubling conversation happen yet on this show. And that's really saying something, you guys. But Hiram and Hermione are talking with Penelope Blossom about Nick's attempted rape on Cheryl. And Penelope concludes by saying that she's not going to file charges on Nick since he, he didn't get the chance to actually rape her. Oh my god. <laughs> my head oh it's exploding Cheryl and Veronica are spying on this through Veronica's door and of course Cheryl is upset that Penelope swept the incident right under the rug and hasn't even tried to fight for her daughter and after processing what her mother said she just starts believing that she's at fault for this thing and oh god my heart's just breaking all over the place Veronica goes full Gryffindor and still wants to pursue justice for Cheryl and asks if she's still wants to file a lawsuit against the family. Cheryl rejects the offer, reasoning that if she is facing off Nick St. Clair in the courtroom, she'd become a laughing stock. Veronica reveals to Cheryl that Nick assaulted many girls before her, including herself, and Cheryl is like, oh yeah? Have you told your parents yet? Why don't you seek justice on your own behalf instead of using me as a puppet in your thirst for vengeance? And like, damn. As much as I want everyone to come forward with this fool so he can be put in his place... Cheryl has a point. If she's not ready to go public with her experience, she shouldn't be forced to. And Veronica should understand that she should understand that because she obviously has had misgivings with sharing her own assault story. There's so much to unpack there. This is like a really heavy episode. Like when I first looked at it, I was like, oh yeah, the drag race episode. I'll be in and out of that that podcast recap in like 45 minutes. Well, I have 13 pages of notes, so buckle up. <laughs> At Pops, Tony and Jack had her having breakfast, of course. Uh, not, of course, because, of course, they're at Pops eating breakfast because there's nowhere else to eat. Um, Tony thanks him for letting her sleep over. I wonder what's going on with her home life that she couldn't stay at home. She tells him that she doesn't want a relationship with him as she knows that he still has feelings for Betty because hashtag bughead forever. And she knows that, um, that she doesn't want to be his rebound and she's more into girls. Phew. And yas, who here is stoked to see a lesbian relationship in Riverdale? Huh? I'm raising my hand. If I, if I didn't have the microphone in my other hand, I'd raise both hands. Cause yes, yes please. Let's see some queerness outside of Kevin. I mean, God bless Kevin. I love all of his scenes. We all know that. But let's, let's see a little dose of reality that not everyone is straight. Straight is not normal. That everybody 
I mean, there's, there's a little gay everywhere and we should get to see that represented on screen. Anyway, Betty walks with Archie. I don't know where they're, they wind up at Pops, but, um, anyway, they're walking and as she's about to, um, she talks to him about being done with the Black Hood's games, letters, and Simon says, and Archie asks what will happen if he calls her again, to which Betty replies that she just won't answer. She can't keep playing, as it's destroying her friendships and her relationship. Archie asks if he was actually going to harm Polly, and she says that the people at the farm are going to help her disappear for a while, just until it's safe again. So they walk up to Pops and see Jughead and Tony eating breakfast, and we just watch Betty's face fall, and it is so brutal. Ugh. Both of their phones start to ring, and it's their parents. Archie's dad, Betty's mom, da-da-da. Also, Archie's jeans are so low-cut in this scene that it is incredibly distracting. Like, they're so low. Like, I think they're trying to use costuming to, like, make Archie look so much taller than Betty, which is dumb and like very patriarchal but whatever but they're so low I honestly expected them to like slip right off of his hips and his willy pop out because like it was I can't watch it it's so distracting I'm just watching his hips make him go lower 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 the fly is like maybe a centimeter tall maybe at the Cooper house, Alice hosts a meeting with all the parents of the children that attended, that attended Nick's party. At his hotel suite, Mayor McCoy thanks her for hosting. Alice says that after she heard what happened at the party, she felt like the parents should all come together to deal with this motley crew of liars, dope fiends, and fornicators. Wow. Who, of course, this consists of Reggie, Veronica, Betty... Um, Archie and the mayor's own daughter, Josie. Of course, we know that Val and Mel were there. Um, Cheryl was there. And honestly, this would have been a wonderful opportunity to meet Val and Mel's parents since they were, you know, they were at the party. But I guess this week we're going to forget that they exist again, just like we do almost every other week. Uh, Alice continues that she was glad that Betty left before it descended into a Bacchanalian free-for-all. Jesus Christ, Alice. The kids are whispering to each other about Betty's breakup with Jughead when Alice tells them to hush and Hiram telling her to be careful throwing stones because, as we learned last week, Alice was quite a hellion in high school herself. Hermione wants to know who brought the jingle jingle to the party and Reggie very reluctantly raises his hand. His mother is like, motherfucker, you shut your fucking trap until we get a lawyer. Hiram stands up and is all like, let's just calm down. And Reggie needs to say, all Reggie needs to say is how he acquired it. So Reggie continues by saying that he has some dealer on the South side that gets the drugs for him. And his mother is just filled with disgust and disappointment. And then Hiram uses this to feel his fire against the South side. But Archie fires back saying that not all serpents are drug dealers. Hashtag not all serpents. Hashtag no tall serpents. <laughs> Obviously there are tall serpents. It's a John Oliver joke. No tall foxes. Anyway, while they admittedly shouldn't have taken the jingle jangle, Veronica points out that Nick asked Reggie to bring them and then later pressured them into taking it. Furthermore, in case anyone forgot the little fucker attacked Cheryl, hello, if anyone should be under interrogation, they believe it should be Nick. However, as Sheriff Keller explains, prosecuting Nick will be difficult given that they are all unreliable witnesses due to the fact that they were high. 
Veronica retorts that they weren't on drugs when Josie and herself witnessed the incident with Nick and Cheryl. The sheriff explains that Jingle Jingle stays in your system for up to three days. <sighs> Fucking bummer, dudes. I mean, it's lame. Unfortunately, it has only been a day since the open house, so this will raise a, cre- a credibility issue in court. Mayor McCoy is extremely disappointed in Josie for her lack of consideration because of her father's struggle with overcoming addiction. So there's some tea about Miles that she just straight up spills in front of everyone. Classy. And then this triggers Mayor McCoy to take some harsh measures, much to Alice's delight. Um, she wants to see the South Side blamed for it and actions taken to prevent further crime coming to the North Side, starting with that high school. Oh boy, man, this is a long cold open. Okay, so at the Red and Black office, Mr. Cool Guy English teacher is reading Jughead's current article. He is impressed and asks when Jughead had the time to put together an issue of the newspaper while pledging the Southside Serpents. He restates that the pact that they made, which allowed Jughead to be part of the, the um, not just part of the newspaper staff, but the newspaper staff, no gangs and no drugs, especially not Jingle Jingle. So he's busting Jughead's chops when Jughead gets a text from Archie saying to meet him outside right now in all caps. So obviously Jughead blows off this teacher who wants to like get him in trouble. And he's like, I gotta go. And he races out the office. And then this scene is edited kind of weird. Like you can see where KJ Apple is just waiting in the hall and then he gets his cue and then he runs over like it should have been cut just a few seconds earlier or something. I don't know. Um, but anyway, Archie races toward him, tells him that they need to get out now. And right when Jughead is about to ask why Sheriff Keller and Mayor McCoy and an army of cops barge into the campus and the mayor is pointing left and right to any student that has been shopping at Hot Topic in their, in our, in their kick-ass Southside Serpent High, you know, um, Southside Serpent collection but most notably who gets arrested is Tony Topaz and Sweet Pea. Zzz, Riverdale. All right. Okay. So after, after our first commercial break at school at Riverdale High, Veronica tells Kevin about Nick's sexual advances after the penthouse party. Kevin wants Veronica to tell someone, either his father or hers, but she's reluctant in doing so, saying that her father, if her father finds out, he will put Nick's head in Mr. and Mrs. St. Clair's bed for coming at her in such a vile manner. Nice Godfather reference, by the way, in case anyone was wondering about Hiram being in the mob or not. Um, as they walk down the hallway, Betty rounds the corner and tries to say hi, but to no avail. While Kevin is real quick to resort to name calling, he's very sassy, and you know what? It's not undeserved, Betty. Veronica would rather avoid all confrontation as she tells Kevin that Betty isn't worth it. Ouch. That, that's way harsh, Ty. Whew. Even though Betty told Archie that she would no longer be taking the Black Hood's calls, when her phone, when her friends won't talk to, re, talk to her anymore, she decides to take that phone call anyway. I mean, if you didn't call bullshit earlier when she said, when she should, when she said that she wouldn't be um, taking his calls or whatever, you haven't been paying attention at all because it's Betty. Hello. So she heads into an empty classroom because that's all this school consists of. Empty classrooms, a bitch and student lounge, and sometimes a cafeteria. Uh, we watch this. So we see this scene break down as a camera is like behind a window in a, a door of a classroom across the hall. 
very pretty little iris. Very, very nice camera work that tells us, hey, the person who is the villain might very well be watching and might be somebody who is at Riverdale High. Hmm, that's a thinker. So Betty has done everything the Black Hood has asked, so why can't he just leave her alone? And, uh, like, I don't think you understand how bad guys work, Betty. <laughs> um, he said that he spared Nick's life, and they have unfinished business. The life that Betty had sentenced to death was Nick's life, and it's only because he chose not to do it that Betty doesn't have Nick's blood on her hands. Should she choose to disobey, she'll have a lot worse to deal with. He claimed that Riverdale streets would run red if Betty didn't help him. So that's gross. Um, while Keller and the police hunted for low-level dealers, they'll go after the real sinner. Um, meaning they, meaning the Black Hood and Betty, will go after the real sinner. That being the drug maker known on the streets as the Sugar Man. The Black Hood calls this guy a corrupter of children who deserves swift and brutal justice, but the fact that he was asking Betty to find the drug maker meant that he couldn't. So for the first time ever, Betty is like, how the hell am I supposed to find him? I'm just a kid working on the school newspaper. And the Black Hood is like, oh, contraire, mon frere. You're friends with Cheryl, who was the daughter of the Sugar Man's former supplier, Clifford Blossom. So, wait, Jingle Jingle has heroin in it? Is that what we're saying? I, I still don't understand that, that drug. So Betty should, should Betty succeed in discovering the identity of the sugar man, the Black Hood claimed that he would stop killing. But like, would he? I don't know. So if she failed to comply, someone would be purified. <laughs> A little purified. That's like when I worked in retail and someone would get fired and they would say that person was promoted to customer. Purified means they're going to get killed. They're going to die. So Jughead and Archie are at Pops and Jughead is being a terrible patron and screaming at Archie with his best Susan Lucci performance. I mean, fuck all the other customers trying to enjoy their milkshakes and burgers, right? Archie tells him to calm his fucking tits, but Jughead fires back saying that the town just became a police state. And Archie says that the mayor is convinced that the serpents are the ones that deal jingle jingle, but Jughead is like, nah-uh, the ghoulies are the dealers. So Archie says, bro, just tell Mayor McCoy. But Jughead is skeptical. Is skeptical. <laughs> skeptical. That's a real word. He believes that the reason for the raid on the Southside High was unfounded and asks why Archie even cares. He's like, I thought you and Betty wanted nothing to do with me. And Archie apologizes for what happened and how it happened, but he tells Jughead to just talk to Betty. But just then, Jughead's phone rings, and it's Tallboy wanting to parlay, and he pieces out. Parlay. Oh, this show. So at Thistle House, Betty visits Cheryl Blossom as she's tanning. I would just like to point out that it was like, what, two, maybe three weeks ago that winter was so intense that Sweetwater River was a sheet of ice. And we know that there's a Christmas episode coming up in the future. So this has to be sometime in the middle of winter. And this bitch is in a swimsuit. Oh, Cheryl is like, I know you're only here because you need something. So Betty relents and says that she's uh, writing an article on Jingle Jingle inundating the town. Yeah, that's what I'm doing. 
So she asked Cheryl if she's ever heard of the sugar man. And Cheryl says like, yeah, as children, our mother told me and Jason about how our father was friends with the so-called sugar man. And if we misbehaved, our mom said that the sugar man would sneak into our rooms at night, steal us from our beds and whisk us away, never to be seen alive again. Holy shit. <laughs> that is a lot. And Betty is curious and asks if the sugar man maybe worked for her father's drug business and Cheryl is like oh my god Betty is there no memory however traumatic you won't defile and Betty's like look I'm, I'm just trying to get the truth but Cheryl fires back saying that look I've already given you the truth the sugar man was just poison was just a poison confection spun by my mother to scare us children such as the sandman or Krampus now fly away little bird I like that little bird comment. At the Andrews house, we learned that due to um, the party shit, the whole gang will be forced to do community service. Archie is adamantly against it, asking Fred why he can't just ground him like normal fathers would do. But, like, you didn't do a normal bad thing. It's not like you stayed out past curfew, homie. And Fred is like, that was the mayor's idea, and I think it's a damn good one. Like, no shit, you guys are lucky to only have to do community service. I mean, had you been caught actually taking drugs, you would have went to jail. So, Fred continues saying that he knows Jughead wasn't at their little Lollapalooza. Hello, 90s reference. But he does go to Southside High, and he says that is ground zero for that crap. And he asks Archie if he's talking to Jughead and checking in and how Jughead's doing. And Archie replies saying that he's... Archie's really struggling to help him and it's like really hard to be a friend because I'm so wrapped up in my own bullshit dad and Fred's like yeah I know it was the same thing when I was when I was your age trying to help FP it says that the fight between the world and the Jones is a never-ending one but he hopes that Jughead's fight isn't a losing one so speaking of, Jughead enters what appears to be a cave slash basement slash apartment. I don't know. Tall boy is there in this like weird chair and we meet Malachi, king of the ghoulies. So he introduces this little house as, or this little rabbit hole as house of the dead. Ooh, spooky. God, the ghoulies are so weird, but I'm, I mean, I'm kind of into it. Minus like the drugs and shit, but I get the punk rock stuff and the skulls. That's cool. I don't understand the hearse thing. That's not cool of me, but whatever. So, uh, Tallboy says that with the heat on both gangs, um, and their ranks depleted, their tribes need to unite and they can facilitate it if Jughead would accept to endorse the partnership. But Jug is skeptical. Why, why me? Tallboy begrudgingly replies by saying that he's the son of FP, the leader of the Southside Serpents, therefore making him de facto leader, other than Tallboy, of course. And it carries weight, especially with the younger gang members. Ain't that some monarchal bullshit? Jughead has been in this gang for less than an episode, and he is already the de, de facto leader? Fuck a bunch of that shit. I bet Sweet Pea would, like, go nuts if he heard someone say that out loud. So anyway, in true Jughead fashion, he loses his shit and asks why the partnership should even be made in the first place, saying that it was the ghoulies' fault that the Southside was even raided. Malachi butts in, saying that chaos is how the gang thrives, and it says that Jughead better get used to it. But, like, Malachi, sir, you're a gorge and everything, but shut the fuck up. <laughs> no way. We're, we're not talking to you right now. 
Jughead turns to Tallboy and asks if he's really going to do this. And if he's really going to do this to FP, continuing by saying that he's supposed to be FP's right-hand man. And Tallboy replies saying that the North Side declared war today and Jughead's old man isn't here to call the shots. And he agrees that he's FP's right hand and that should make him the de facto leader, not Jughead. And he continues by saying that things are changing and either Jughead changes with them or suffer the consequences. And then Malachi, this, this guy, I love this actor, like... It's such a smarmy role, but he's so good at it. He says, evolve or die, baby. Evolve or die. Oh, man. So back at Thistle House by the raging fireplace, um, Cheryl is looking at old photos of her and Jason. And like, how, what is this fucking season that they have the fire going, but she was in a bathing suit. And then later at the race, everybody's like in spaghetti straps and bikinis and shit. Like, oh, it makes no sense. I know that they filmed this in the summer. You don't have to write me like, I know, I know, but still. So... <laughs> Um, she stumbles upon a, a drawing that was obviously done by either her or her brother when, when they were children. And it's of her and Jason standing in front of their old home, Thornhill, you might remember, also a raging fire. And right next to them is the Sugar Man. So Cheryl immediately closes the drawing and takes one of her patented Cheryl Blossom deep dramatic breaths. <sighs> I love it. So Betty walks into Pops and she spots Sheriff Keller. She walks over and she says she wants to ask a few questions for a blue and gold story on Jingle Jingle. And Sheriff Keller is like, dude, I'm off the fucking clock. Can you not tell that I'm trying to enjoy my lunch? So he allows only one question. She says, and he says that she better make it a good one. So she takes a seat and asks if he's ever heard of a drug dealer called the Sugar Man. And Keller looks at her like he's like, she's kind of stupid. And is like, yeah. I've heard of him. I even know him. And you know him as well. And then he goes on to list other names such as the Maple Man, the Delivery Man, and about a million different names, according to the sheriff. But it's always been one man, Clifford Blossom. Betty is skeptical because Clifford is... If Clifford is already dead, how is there still an abundant supply of Jingle Jangle? And Keller says that the Jingle Jangle never truly hit the streets until after Clifford died and continues by saying that anyone could be the supplier of the drug now. And then he bounces before she can ask him any more questions. But like, okay, I have, I have some questions. Clifford died like one day before Keller mentioned Jingle Jangle at the hospital in the season two premiere and made it seem like it's been kind of a problem for a while. So that doesn't check out plot hole. So Veronica is also at Pop sitting in a separate booth reading a book with her smart gold glasses, of course. And once the sheriff leaves, Veronica asks if Betty is planning another takedown on the newspaper. But Betty walks over and attempts to make peace and says that Veronica may not believe what she's saying, but she what she said at Nick's party was bullshit. She didn't mean a single word and that there is no sane excuse. Veronica agrees but wants to know the what the insane excuse is. So we cut to commercial, and when we get back, Betty is sitting in the booth, slurping on a vanilla milkshake, presumably after she's spilled the beans about the black hood. Betty says that she'll never forgive herself for what she did. Veronica says that Betty's in a toxic relationship with the black hood and that she needs to break up with him. And Betty replies, saying that she could turn the tables on him instead. 
And she repeats what the Black Hood said, that he'll go away if she does one last thing, which is to find out who's behind the jingle jingle, the sugar man. Betty isn't sure what to do because if she finds out who the sugar man is and gives Black Hood the name, that person will be murdered. But if she doesn't, he'll continue to harass the entire town. So Betty asks for Veronica's help in the search for the sugar man and Veronica accepts. They clink milkshake glasses and yes, B and V are back together. Oh, I love, I love them when they get together and do some, get into hijinks. So Jughead and Archie are at Jughead's house while Juggy just like vents and screams about the proposed partnership with the ghoulies. He hopes that Tony and Sweet Pea would rather go to war with the ghoulies and start dealing jingle jingle once they get out of jail. And Archie butts in saying like, motherfucker, I thought you joined the serpents to keep the peace, not go to war. And Jughead fires back saying that, uh, my dad would never sit back and let this madness happen. And neither will I. Dude, do you remember when your dad was a drunken fucking mess and was such a goddamn nightmare that you couldn't stay at home and now you're honoring him like he's like some great warrior? What the fuck? So Jughead asks Archie if he has any other ideas and suddenly they are at a visiting booth at the jail talking face to face phone to phone with fp jones hmm so after commercial break we can see here what might be my favorite easter egg of the series thus far fp's prison number is 24601 yeah yeah where my lame is friends at uh-huh revolutionaries what up i'm such a nerd <laughs> Anyway, just a little Jean Valjean reference for, for you young kids. So <laughs> Jughead says that he tells his dad, like, you can reprimand me later for joining the serpents, but if we don't do something now, there won't be any serpents. There'll just be ghoulies. And Effie bangs the phone on the window and the way Jughead flinches, Archie looks at him and he's like, oh God, your dad used to beat you. Like that flinch was rough and like great acting from Cole Sprouse and I don't know it's all so very weird um so FP continues saying that it sounds like the serpents are currently outmanned and it is necessary to avoid bloodshed at all costs but he has a solution we just need to outthink them this is about territory and the one thing that ghoulies love is a crazy are crazy souped up retro cars and hearses which is gross FP asks them if they catch his Riverdale drift God, that was lame. And it's met with a completely blank stare because obviously he's making like a Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift reference, but like uh, that was so, so bad. So FP clarifies by saying that they should challenge the ghoulies to a street race one-on-one, -on -one. but like shut up about it because it's totes illegal, boys. So much face palming in my life right now. <laughs> the ghoulies win. If the ghoulies win, the serpents roll over. If the serpents win, the ghoulies back off. FP tells them to probably raise the stakes, saying that whoever wins should control Southside High. Jughead lists the advantages, such as getting rid of the, getting the ghoulies off their backs, getting rid of the jingle jingle, blah, 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 blah. So the next morning at Thistle House, Penelope is cracking a boiled egg open or a poached egg, maybe. I don't know. Uh, but Cheryl shows her the drawing of her and Jason standing next to the sugar man. And Cheryl asks um, Penelope if she remembers the stories that she concocted of the sugar man and if he was one of Cliff's business associates. You know, but like the heroin business, not the quote unquote maple syrup business. 
Penelope scoffs, and Cheryl says that after all Penelope kept from her about her father, about her brother, about his death, would this be another piece of her so-called cryptic puzzle? Penelope slams down her spoon and says that she has no idea what Cheryl is talking about, as usual, and has never told anybody some wild stories about a sugar man, and Cheryl would know full well that the documents regarding any job, any employment by Undercliff were either seized by the police or burned down in the fire that Cheryl created herself. Um, Methinks the lady doth protest too much. <laughs> doth protest too much. Whatever. <laughs> so at Pickens Park, is this the first time we see Pickens Park? I'm, I'm not sure. The gang, minus Cheryl, of course, they're all gathered in their orange vest and it's just a, a gorgeous sight to see all these beautiful young Hollywood starlets in their, in their uh, picking up trash outfits. Veronica prefers to call this park Needle Park because apparently there's so many heroin needles around. I don't know. Uh, but Kevin agrees saying that even he wouldn't go cruising here. Reggie throws something and Josie looks up, obviously annoyed. He tells her, feel free to get off her phone and pitch in. Like, look, I know you think that you're Beyonce of this town or whatever, but today you're hanging with the commoners. And Josie says that his biceps look like they can handle it. And Reggie's like, oh, so he takes an opportunity to flex. But Veronica butts in and asks if she could borrow Reggie for a New York minute. God, so, so, God. <laughs> and... Josie acts like she's glad for Reggie to be out of her sight. And Reggie's like, oh, yeah, you like watching me walk away? And then he's like, Veronica, tell me what you want. We're in the middle of a very toxic flirtation. Duh. And Veronica wants the number of the Southside dealer, and she won't take no for an answer. While this is going on, Archie tells Betty to talk to Jughead. Betty promises that she will soon, but not until she gets a few more things checked off her list. So once Betty turns her back to Archie, she sneaks a glance at Veronica and raises her eyebrows. So now we know that a plan is underway. And again, I just love a B&B scheme. It's so fun. So cut to later, Veronica is on the south side meeting Reggie's dealer outside of Bodega. So hey, look, there are more businesses than just Pops, at least not on the south side. Um... He says that he doesn't take American excess. Like, fucker, do you want money or not? <laughs> God, why you gotta be a dick about it? So Veronica reaches into her handbag and pulls out cash and asks if this will do. I'm not sure if you can hear that train in the background, but if you can, just pretend it's the one by Pops, because um, I'm not pausing. So she says that her reason for buying this is that her girl, she's, okay, so this is her quote. My girl and I need a reason to live tonight. She broke up with her beau, full spiral, tragic. <laughs> so homie spikes the price up to 150 and Veronica caves because like, she doesn't really care about the drugs. This is a mission. And she has all the money at her disposal because her dad's out of jail. I don't know. I still don't understand that rags to riches to rags to riches story of the lodges, but whatever. It seems like they have money when it's convenient. So he gives her the pixie sticks and Veronica tells him to give her compliments to the sugar man. And he looks up at her like he's seen a ghost. Veronica asks if she got the name wrong. And she's like, isn't that the name of the genius behind these sweet treats? And he tries to like kind of walk away nonchalantly and then breaks into a full panic around the corner without giving her her change, by the way. 
<laughs> Veronica pulls out her phone and tells Betty that their drugstore cowboy should be passing her in just a few seconds. Sure enough, there he is, racing past the dumpster with Betty right next to it. Gross, Betty, stand somewhere else. Uh, Betty said that she's got eyes on him, and then they follow suit. Heck yeah, Nancy Drew in action. So, in the basement of the dead, some bro is preparing straws of Jingle Jangle. Jughead challenges Malachi, the leader of the ghoulies, to a race. Jughead says that if the serpents win, they will remain autonomous, and if the ghoulies, and the ghoulies quit dealing at Southside. Malachi asks what happens if they win, and Jughead responds with, uh, the serpents will fold, and the ghoulies will keep on polluting the Southside with their little straws of death. Malachi says that the serpent prince, referring to Jughead, has some stones, but not much else. He continues by saying, unless FP won't put territory as a reward for winning, the ghoulies are out. And with that, Veronica's drugstore cowboy comes in, and Veronica and Betty at his heel. He's like, they try to sneak in. Uh, Jughead and Veronica, oh, sorry, Jughead and Archie are surprised to see them here. And so are Betty and Veronica surprised to see them. And it's just the best, like, Archie, Veronica, Betty, Jughead, what are you doing here? All in unison. And I just love it. That's such a cute scene. Um, Malachi asks if these girls are Jughead's bitches. And Veronica says, I beg your misogynistic pardon. And then he continues telling him, get you, get you and your skanks out of here. Um, and until a better offer is put on the table, table, there will be no race. So Jughead caves in and offers the white worm as the ghoulies territory if they win so that they can expand their drug dealing horizons and upgrade out of the literal hellhole that they're already in. Malachi one-ups him and says that he'll take Sunnyside Trailer Park as well which is, of course, Jughead's home and presumably the home to most of the serpents. So, uh-oh. So, at Pops, Cheryl is eating alone, which is quite startling to witness because she should always have a buddy. Like, she doesn't deserve to sit alone. This is the second time this season we've seen her eat alone at Pops, and I just want to be on the other side of that booth. So bad. Um, Nick walks in, Nick fucking piece of shit St. Clair, and he orders food to go for him and his family. Cheryl is shocked to see him and immediately goes on the defensive. He looks over and is shocked to see her as well. He calls her Sharon, but Cheryl, who no matter how uncomfortable and like traumatized she is, will let that shit fly immediately corrects him. She's like, it's Cheryl. I loved it. So Nick asks how, how she's doing. She's like, what the fuck do you mean? How am I doing? You drugged me and tried to rape me. And Nick's like, I don't think that's what happened. <sighs> like, uh, it, like that. I don't, I don't know about you guys. That really like touches on something like cellularly in, in my heart. Like that is, that makes me want to vomit. She calls him a less than zero monster, and he fires back, saying that at least he's not some desperate tart from a truck stop town, and then he continues to gaslight her by saying that they should not distort reality to cover Cheryl's morning after shame. He says, you are high, half naked, and begging for it. And God, oh, I might actually cry. Cheryl is fueled by rage and tells Nick to call his lawyer um, seeing that he's such an unrepentant spore, she'll be charging. Pre she'll be charging presses. She'll be pressing charges after all. 
Nick's like, oh, do you not know about the hush money arrangement my parents made with your cobra-like mother? And says that um, she'll never be saying what happened that night to anyone. Oh, fuck. God damn it, Penelope. At a Riverdale mechanic shop, Betty is fixing a car, that, um, that muscle car that we know is Reggie's. He loaned it to them for the race uh, against the Ghoulies. And she's with a very uncomfortable jughead and says, God bless Reggie Mantle and his inferiority complex. She continues saying that his car is similar to him. Beautiful to look at, but not much going on under the hood. <laughs> that's my spoiler alert. That's my best blossom burn for the episode because she is technically a blossom. And <laughs> I love a good small dick joke. I feel like it's warranted, especially such a gross episode like this with Nick. So Jughead and Betty are still obviously reeling over the breakup, but Jug doesn't know yet that the black, ho- the black Hood was who was forcing Betty to break up with him. So he's still pissed and hurt. Um, he eventually speaks up and says, go ahead and say what's on your mind. You know you want to say it. She's like, she kind of whispers, you said you wouldn't join the serpents. So he fires back. Yeah. Well, you said you loved me and then you dumped me via Archie, which is way worse than via text. She sincerely apologizes and that the reason for the breakup wouldn't make sense, but everything around them was imploding and that she did it to protect them. Jughead says that she did the one thing that could really hurt him which is just excruciating. And Betty replies saying that she will explain everything to him in time, but all she needs to do right now is just to get him through this one race. So he scoffs and turns his back to Betty again. And it's oh so awkward, but it's nice to have them in a scene together. I just love them so much. Smoochies. Um, back at Thistle House, Penelope is treating her burn scars with Vaseline. Cheryl confronts her mother about the little conversation she and Nick had at Pops. And she also says that she was rummaging through her mother's room until she found the, the check that is the hush money given to her by the St. Clairs. Penelope says that before Cheryl should cast stones, she should know that the lodges are also accepting money from the St. Clairs to support their Sodal construction. Cheryl is vehement, saying that she cares about her mother, not about the Lodge family. She says that, you know, mommy, you protected daddy even after he murdered your son, but you won't defend me and stand up against my would-be rapist. Penelope shrugs her off and tells her not to be absurd and orders her to hand over the check. And she's like, no, I'm not going to I'm not going to give you this check because you're an awful parent for one thing and will not do your job, which is to stand up for your child and to be an advocate for me when I can't be one for myself because, again, I'm a child. (sighs) Um, And also, you need to tell me about the Sugar Man because that's, like, the episode that we're in and I'm going to help Betty because, you know, whatever. But really, it's because of this Nick bullshit. Um, Penelope still won't cave and Cheryl's crying and begging her mother just for once in her life to be honest with her and to care about her. And again, Penelope just is a stone wall and Cheryl concedes. It's simple. She says, the St. Clair's bought your silence. Whew, rough. Um, 
at Archie's house. He's naturally shirtless because of course he is because that's what show this is. And he's laying in bed with Veronica. Hmm. I wonder what they're doing. She asks him uh, what she can do to keep him here at home instead of going to the dangerous, dumb, and possibly deadly street race between the serpents and the ghoulies. And Archie tells Veronica not to worry. He has a plan. Kind of like the plan you and Betty had when you snuck into ghoulie headquarters. And they both share a laughing kiss because oh, it's so silly almost getting ourselves killed by sneaking into a drug dealer gang headquarters. Oh my god just goofy hijinks. Archie says that he hopes it's a plan that'll keep everyone alive. Veronica then receives a phone call from Cheryl and she hurries to the Pembroke. So Hiram and Hermione are playing a game of chess when Veronica confronts them. She asks them if they are still doing business with the St. Clairs, letting them invest in Sodell after what Nick did. And they start to be like, look, we don't know if we trust Cheryl. And she's like, stop. Cheryl is telling the truth. And then she also reveals that Nick attempted to make sexual advances toward her as well, to both her parents' shock, and it's it's pretty rough. Veronica realizes that she has done a very dangerous thing, revealing that what Nick attempted to do to her, because Hiram becomes infuriated, asking Veronica if Nick St. Clair hurt her, and Veronica says, look, he tried to, but I stopped him before it got too far. And then, and then the next night, Cheryl was his next victim. Hermione reaches over for her hand and asks why she didn't say anything. And Veronica says, look, I didn't have any proof. And, and I know for sure that Nick has done this to other women too. Hiram and Hermione say that God is their witnesses. And Hiram's about to say he's going to kill the kid. But Hermione steps in front of him and says, we will not take a penny from the St. Clairs. The end. Okay, so... You might notice some weirdness in the audio because I just had, <laughs> I had to finish because my lunch hour was over when I finished up the little bit about the lodges. Um, so a full day has passed, but I'm back. So sorry if the audio is any different or my voice sounds weird because that always seems to happen. It's weird. Like it's me. It's just the next day. But anyway, the Riverdale drag race is smoothly on its way with everybody extremely hyped and dressed in like their best Grease-esque outfit. And Kevin is just the best, as always. I mean, what, what else would you expect? He says that, man, this is not the kind of drag, ra drag race that I ever imagined myself at. Um, but at least the guys are hot. And amen. Same boo. Same. I, I believe that should I ever find myself at a drag race? Why is it so hard for me to say drag race? It'll be of the RuPaul variety. I mean, of course. <laughs> Archie tells Veronica not to worry that he and Jughead have it in the bag. And she's like, whatever. Just make it back to me. And preferably in one piece. And then they kiss. And it's so smoochy and romantic and whatever. Um, so passionate. Come on, guys. But, you know, they're 15, 16, whatever. So I guess it kind of makes sense. Uh Jughead slams down the hood of the car and Betty, um, just before he gets in, Betty tells him, I just need you to know, Jug, that I've never stopped loving you. I'm not sure I can even stop. Oh, and don't ride the clutch and don't let it slip in, in between gear shifts, okay? And Jughead just like shakes his head and he's like, you're an enigma, Cooper. <laughs> Quite the understatement. 
Um, but I, I really love that scene. Like, I feel like that's one of those scenes that will, like, go down in, like, history for me as, like, memorable Riverdale scenes. Like, Cheryl slipping through the ice, Betty telling Jughead that she could never stop loving him and not to ride the clutch. <laughs> they're just, they're so equal in my brain. Anyway, um, Tallboy tells the competitors to get on the road, and Malachi and Jughead shake hands. The rules are that they shall race over Herc Harvey Bridge to Dead Man's Curve, and the first one back to the starting line wins. And so Cheryl walks up with a red flag, and Tony's like, hey, this is my job. And Cheryl's like, not today, cha-cha. <laughs> and says that she was born for this moment. So that's some, that's some great Grease references. Love it. And also, sexual tension award. Love me some Cheryl and Tony. This is, uh, I mean, I'm not going to spoil anything, but we do have scenes with them later in the in the season and we know that Vanessa Morgan and Madeline Petch are best friends in real life and they are just god their chemistry is so amazing I love them when they're in scenes together so um the boys start their engines up as Cheryl walks to the starting line she throws the red flag up and arches her back starting the race everybody cheers just like the beginning of Thunder Road and Jughead is like all excited. Archie is terrified, which is hilarious. The ghoulies car bumps into them, attempting to sabotage them. And then they do it again and they do it again, attempting to like, you know, agitate. And like, they think that Jughead is such a goody two shoes that he's just going to stop and be like, you can't hurt Reggie's car. But oh no, he's they're only pissing him off further. So they're getting close to the bridge and Archie gets really worried saying that the bridge is too narrow for both cars and they should abort mission and Jughead is pissed. And he's like, no, then we lose the race. And he's like, yeah, but then we crash and we lose our lives and that's just not something I'm down for. So he grabs the emergency brake and they skid to a stop right near the bridge letting the ghoulies race past and Jughead is fucking livid. Like we've seen pissed off Jughead before a lot, but this like, <laughs> I don't know how like Cole Sprouse like dug deeper into rage acting, but man, he found some reserves because <laughs> he flips the fuck out on Archie <laughs> and he's like, the serpents are going to wind up joining the ghoulies. And what are you doing? Why would you do that? And Archie's like, bro, trust me. You will thank me for it. And then right on cue, the police sirens start wailing. Jughead races toward the sound over the bridge. And Archie's like, stop, Jughead, stop. And then Jughead sees the ghoulies getting arrested by the police, led by Sheriff Keller. And soon it this is um, it's revealed that this was the plan Archie hatched that would quote unquote, keep everybody alive. Not a lot of long-term thinking with our boy, but I mean, I thought it was kind of smooth. I thought it was kind of a good hijink for Archie. Like he doesn't often like met, like actually set stuff up, you know, like he's always kind of caught in the middle of everything. And I was kind of proud of him for, for doing this. Cause it's usually Betty. That's the brains behind those missions and, or Veronica um, and yeah, it was stupid because, you know, like it only pissed everybody off, but 
it got the ghoulies out of their hair. Um, so Tallboy runs up furious, like red face, screaming. You think he's, uh, you know, screaming out the serpent laws for initiation. He's screaming so loud. And he accuses Jughead of calling the cops. And Jughead's like, calm down. I, do you think I really called the cops? Are you fucking serious? And Archie's like, guys, it was me. Ha ha. And Jughead then is like, what the fuck? Why? Why? Is, was this my dad's idea? And Archie's like, uh, no, this was, this was just my idea. I got rid of the ghoulies and it worked. Jughead's like, yeah, no, they're going to want your head on a stake and hell, all of our heads once they get out of jail, this gets rid of them for what? One month, three months, they're going to get out and they're going to be even more pissed. What the fuck, Archie? And so Jughead gets in the car. Betty just kind of looks at Archie despondent, shakes her head and she gets in with Jughead. So, hmm, that's interesting. I I wonder what that car ride was like. (laughs) Betty and Jughead pissed off at Archie still weird with each other because of their relationship shit and she we know because we've seen the whole episode that she lays down all the black hood stuff like what a day Jughead is having what a damn day uh back at Thistle House Penelope is sitting by the fire which seems like the last thing she would want to do given her burns and you know it being like bikini weather and all (laughs) um but Cheryl walks past and I don't understand because it looks like she's headed to the race instead of back from the race, given where we know the front door at Thistle House to be. So that was kind of, I don't know if this scene was supposed to be um, scheduled earlier than they realized, hey, it looks like it's nighttime. This isn't going to work um, because the race is during the day or it was just bad blocking. I don't know, but it, it throws me off every time. So, oh, my note's closed. Okay. So Cheryl walks past her mother and she walks up to her and tells her, be careful in case you get burned again. LOL. I caught her house on fire and it burned you a lot. So now I'm going to make some more fun at it. Another blossom burn, man. Um, And this time another literal blossom burn. God, I love it. So Penelope says says to Cheryl that she says, you say I never protected you. Let me tell you the real story about the Sugar Man. The Sugar Man was a story that she concocted to turn an all-too-real monster into a mere boogeyman. Cheryl replies saying that, well, it it worked, but only for a little while. She takes off her bag and sits in the seat opposite her mother, but Cheryl demands the truth. So Penelope says that over the years, there were many Sugar Men, each taking over for the last. She continues saying that Clifford decided to groom Jason, when Clifford decided to groom Jason to take over the family business, he wanted him to meet the current sugar man, and Penelope protested. She did not want the hap, hap- she did not want that to happen, but Clifford insisted, and she gave in as he was the head of the family, cue me, like, grinding my teeth into powder because if you cannot stand up to your husband for the safety of your children, what the absolute fuck I don't care if he wears the pants in the family. That's all bullshit anyway. But aside from like the patriarchal horribleness of all of that, Jason was your child and you knew that you were putting him in harm's way meeting the sugar man. Like, no ma'am, bad mom ward. So, but that's when the terrible series of events that began 
that led to Jason's death. She covers her mouth and starts to sob. So Cheryl hands over the hush money given to her by the St. Clair's. Penelope takes it. She says, thank you. Cheryl says, thank you. And then Penelope, oh, well, first Penelope wads up the check and throws it in the fire. And then Cheryl thanks her and asks Penelope one more question. The current identity of the sugar man. Uh, so later on, this is, this is also kind of weird. So Betty and Veronica are at Pops, still in their outfits from the race. So did Jughead drop Betty off? Like, I need, I need, like, a time-stamped situation for the night. Like, I need a schedule of events <laughs> because it makes no sense. She leaves with Jughead, leaves Veronica at the, at the race at, I don't know, I assume it's like the old drive-in maybe I I don't know where they're at somewhere on the outskirts of Riverdale and she gets in the car with Jughead and leaves but the next time we see her she's back with Veronica in the same clothes that they are in at the race but whatever so they're at Pops Betty's phone begins to ring and they're Veronica's like is it the black hood but no it's not the lollipop ringtone guys so we know it's not the black hood it's Cheryl and Cheryl's telling um, Betty the true identity of the sugar man as Veronica listens intently. Betty asks if she's positive, and then um, there's a pause. She receives the answer, ends a call, blah, 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 blah. Veronica asks who it is. Betty tells her that Cheryl just gave her the name of the sugar man. Veronica is, like, super shocked and says, Cherry bombshell for the win. Betty's seems relieved, but then she asks Veronica what she should do, because if Betty gives the name of the sugar man to the Black Hood, the sugar man is not safe at all. And despite the fact that he's a drug dealer, he's still a human being, and it's not okay for her to, you know, put him in harm's way like that. May may God have mercy on the sugar man. But then she continues saying that if she doesn't, all of the people aren't safe. Like all of Riverdale is not safe. May God have mercy on all of us. And someone in this writer's room is really into Machiavelli is what I think. (laughs) So at the Cooper house, Betty's phone rings once more and it's finally the black hood. She assumes her time is up and the black hood agrees and asks if she found the sugar man for him. She says that she did. And the black hood asks for his name. Betty says, like, you know, I could give you his name, but I don't think it would do you any good right now because I already let the police in on the true identity of the sugar man and the blue and gold newspaper will air an expose containing the sugar man's identity. So you could just wait for it. Care to comment? Oh, it was so chilling when she said that. I loved it. Um, the black hood is pissed. <laughs> Not a great thing to piss off serial killer, but you know, whatever. Betty follows up saying that the sugar man needed to be brought to justice, not execution, and that he will be dealt with in the right way. And the Black Hood says that she's playing an extremely dangerous game. And Betty says, well, yeah, but it's my game now. The Black Hood asks what game it is. And she says, it's the game that ends with me catching you, Black Hood. She stares out her bedroom window and gives this amazing monologue. She says, I found out who killed Jason Blossom. And I found out who the sugar man was. And in one episode, I might add. And (laughs) she doesn't say that. I said that. Um, And she said, and your next black hood, I'm breathing down your neck. Can you feel me? And then he ends the call because he just pissed his pants a little bit. And so did we. And it was so fun. And I love it. Oh, my God. Oh, I love Scary Betty. 
Okay, so next we see Tony and Jughead walking down the halls of Southside High. Jug asks what other what the other people thought of the race, and Tony's like, well, some people gave you props for challenging the ghoulies to a race and beating them. Others hate that you cut a deal with Keller because that puts us in bed with the pigs. And Jughead's like, I didn't do that. It was Archie's doing, and, and she's like, yeah, I know that, and you know that, but nobody else knows that. Then the police turn a corner and it's two cops like leading the way very <laughs> slow motion like they're mean girls. Um, <laughs> and you know the high school they're like duh, 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 duh. <laughs> and Jughead's like is it another raid? Nope. Sheriff Keller is holding a handcuffed Mr. Fucking Don't Write About Gangs or Drugs Phillips with an iron grip. And Tony's like, nope, they caught the sugar man. So the sugar man, fuck yeah, is Mr. Phillips. Hmm. How about that? It it does kind of suck that, like, what seemed to be the one good positive role model for Jughead on the South Side, well, and all the kids on the South Side, ended up being, like, the king drug dealer, the king heroin supplier. Um, so that sucks, but what are you going to do? So in Archie's room with Fred, Archie reveals that he tried helping Jughead with something and it sort of backfired. Uh, Fred pops a pain pill and it it really seems like this is going to be a thing. Also, I'd like to point out how how fake this pill was. Okay, so Luke Perry like puts his finger and thumb into the pill bottle, allegedly takes a pill out, clearly doesn't take a pill out because he puts it in his mouth and continues having like five or six lines before he ever grabs a glass of water and takes a drink. Like, I don't know, maybe these are minuscule pills, but, um, when you have something in your mouth, you don't just speak normally and that shit would like melt and it'd probably be gross. Like, have you ever had like a Tylenol sit too long on your tongue and it gets like weird? Like, I'm just saying that like, I can suspend my disbelief for a lot of things, but that's just not one of them. I just need more realistic pill taking. That's all I'm saying. Um, but it, it seems like this is really going to be a thing because Archie's like, uh, you okay, dad? I mean, I know you're recovering from a gunshot wound, but should you really still be taking pills? But I mean, is it going to be a thing? No, I don't know. Fred's just like, I'm getting better each and every day, Arch. Okay. So we move to the Pembroke and the Lodge family receives a phone call as like, Hiram and Hermione are playing chess again because that's the big metaphor for their relationship and this family and this town and the series and whatever. They get a phone call and Hermione answers and she learns that the St. Clairs have been involved in a car accident on their way back home. Their car ran off the road and she's like, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Clearly in jubilation. Um, and she says, Nick will recover with time. Several months, probably. probably. And Veronica says, oh, well, karma's a bitch. I'm like, damn, V, that's cold. <laughs> um, then we, we get to, like, our closing scene. And we know it's our closing scene because we have a jug dub. Um, you know, Jughead's got a voiceover. And Betty and Jughead are sitting together on the couch in his trailer. Betty's reading Silence of the Lambs, which is you know, what you want to read when you've just gotten back together with your boyfriend. And Jughead is writing yet another section to his ongoing book about Riverdale. He says that in the end, the girl next door came clean about her daunts macabre with a black hood. 
further confirmation that everyone in Riverdale wears masks. Case in point, Robert Phillips. And so, of course, this mirrors the opening episode, opening of the episode where he says everybody wears masks, um, not just the black, black hood. And so he goes on, we see, like, we cut into this, we see Mr. Phillips sitting in, in his holding cell in, in the jail, and Jughead says, by day, he is a kind, caring English lit teacher, hiding his true identity, a ruthless drug dealer. Then the shadow of the black hood, like, looms over him with a gun pointed at him, and it cuts back to the trailer with Jughead whispering, sweet dreams, sugar man, Zzz, Riverdale. So the black hood got his way, he still got to kill the sugar man, which uh, is not what Betty intended, I'm sure. Um, so he is now, in fact, a serial killer. He has killed more than one person. Well, I think serial means three or more time in between. Um, but whatever. At least we can call him kind of a serial killer because he's killed more than one person. Um, cause he didn't kill Moose or Midge. He didn't kill Fred. He just killed Miss Grundy up to this point. Right. I think. Okay. So let's move on to our sections, um, segments, um, the most Archie comics moment. I know Herc Harvey, um, is a, is a call to, I want to say a comic writer. I don't remember exactly, but at one point in time, I didn't know this and I meant to write it down, but I forgot. I think he's a comic book writer from back in the day around when, um, Archie comics were at their peak. Um, also just from like the aesthetics of an Archie comics, um, when Cheryl's in her bathing suit and she puts on those black sunglasses, like that felt like a comic book to me. Like that felt like it was straight, out of an illustrated cell, like I could see it. I could see like the word bubble next to her saying fly away little bird. Like it was beautiful. I loved it. Um, so like we mentioned earlier at best blossom burn, I know like Cheryl had some good ones, especially to her mother, but if those were all so raw emotionally that like just off the cuff, funny burns, um, I, like I said earlier, I'm giving it to Betty when she said, God bless Reggie Mantle in his in- inferiority complex. Um, he's beautiful to look at, but not much going on under the hood. Like that was so great. I love a good dick joke because you know what? Girls get made fun of enough for stupid shit that like should not matter for being too short, for being too tall, for, you know, weighing too much, for not weighing enough, for being too skinny, for, um, clothes being like this, like that, whatever. Like it is fucking impossible to be a girl in society. And if you are beautiful, then you're a whore. And if you, um, don't meet every standard, then you're ugly and you're, it's, is awful. So to get a, a, a tiny dick joke in there, you know what? I'm allowing it, especially considering how Reggie treats other people and like how kind of gross he was with Josie and whether or not she liked it or bought into it. Like it was still kind of creepy and weird and I'm like not okay with it. So I'm, I'm giving it a yay. Um, we'll move on to good, bad funnies. Good. I mean, you know, you guys know my never ending love for Greece. So the costuming in this episode was like amazing to me. I just loved it all. The Betty's bandana and Cheryl's like easy rider crop bralette thing. Like that was amazing. Um, just 
all of it. All of it was awesome and I loved it. So, uh, my bad, um, okay guys, we're gonna, we're gonna get in deep here. Um, my bad for this week is just the way Hiram reacts to Veronica telling them about Nick's attempted sexual assault on her. It's the exact reason why a lot of victims don't come forward, but victims of just sexual violence, the way Nick did a lot of children who are molested. Um, a lot of them don't come forward because they're so afraid that they're going to get their offender in trouble. And like, I don't want to get personal or graphic, but there have been times in my life when I was in Veronica's situation and, and worse, to be quite honest. And I didn't come forward for years or ever in some cases because one, who was going to believe me, you know, like I was constantly treated like I was a dumb kid and I made stuff up and I had a very vivid imagination and all that shit. But there were things that happened to me that I should have spoken up about because that person should have gotten in trouble and um, not been allowed to do it again to anybody else. And God, I hope that never happened. But I also know what, what my parents' response would have been. And two, if I were to tell my dad about a certain situation that happened, he was going to kill the offender. Like I, I knew in my heart, I could see that. And when this is portrayed in the media, on TV, in movies, when we see the dad who, like, you know, when we hear about shotgun weddings and we hear about, like, if you date my daughter, here are these rules. We strip away the girl's autonomy for their own body, for one thing, their own agency. But we also put the fear of fucking God because, like, while the men who do this are disgusting it can take years for you to realize that. Like it took so much therapy for me to realize that it wasn't my fault that this thing happened to me. Like I still had love in my heart for this man because he was part of my family and, and I'm not close to a lot of my family, but this part of my family, I'm very close to the, for this to happen, I like, I, I wasn't going to get him in trouble. Like there's no way, like, you know, I, I loved him as a family member and, you know, Veronica loves Nick as a friend or, or did, you know, before this happened. And it takes a lot of, of, you know, self-realization and therapy and th there's a lot that goes into realizing, hey, he did a bad thing and he might be a monster and God knows where that could have went. And this needs to stop. Somebody needs to stop them. And it just sucks. It just sucks that. It, and of course, it's it's very like typical for Hiram. That's what we expect to see out of him on if this happens, but it's, um, I don't know. It, it's a weird place to be in, especially, you know, in the current environment that we're in with all the like me too stuff and time's up and like, it, let's not complicate it further if we can help it. I don't know. Um, well, let's move on to our funny <laughs> after we go real deep. Um, 
god <laughs> this is like everything seems so lame now but um my funny is just that like it always cracks me up in the same the sunbathing scene when cheryl is like jesus christ betty you have zero fucking coot like you come up here you ask me about if i've ever heard this word and i tell you it's something that my mother traumatized me with as a child that i was scared of and then you ask me if it was part of my dead dad's drug business like all of this just happened in the last couple of weeks my father not only died but he killed himself committed suicide and we learned that he was a heroin dealer and we learned that he killed my twin brother the only person who's ever really loved me girl have some tact um so i just i just think it's funny when like especially of all people cheryl calls (laughs) betty out on her bullshit it's wonderful for changer for changes if i was in the writer's room the things i would have changed this week i think we could have done without the scene of of nick being a dick to cheryl and pops like i think we could have we could get all of that there could have been other ways for it to be revealed that penelope accepted hush money without having to witness it again like like it's so gross and so smarmy and hits so close to home with the gaslighting stuff that like I just it almost felt like too much like this is too real and maybe that's great writing but for a fun show like Riverdale it almost felt like I I, I'm I feel weird I felt very weird with that scene um so for theories typically this is where we theorize about who we think the black hood is um but as you all know, I'm, I've caught up that we're just kind of wrapping up these last few episodes that aired before I started the podcast. So I've, I'm caught up with season two. I do in fact know who the black hood is. You will find out as well when you get to the end. Um, so I'm not going to give any theories, but holy shit, it's getting real. It's getting real, real. So I bet if you're if you're following along and this is your first time watching it, I bet you have some real theories too. Um, for Sabrina news, there has to be a trailer coming soon, right? Like, right? I'm. It's we're almost like a month out from the premiere. I guess we're we're right at two months out from the premiere as of air date for this. And I just feel like we should have it. I mean, we have a Riverdale trailer, sort of. It was mostly scenes from season two, but, you know, whatever. Um, I'm just so excited for it. I just want to see it already. In Riverdale news, it's uh, it's been revealed that there will be a throwback episode called The Midnight Club. Um, and it's going to go back to when the parents were in high school, complete with a breakfast club theme. And Anthony Michael Hall is the principal. And KJ has dyed his hair, like, back to dark brown and will play Fred in, like, I shit you not, there are some pictures where he legitimately looks like 1990s Luke Perry. Like, he looks like Dylan McKay, and it is hot. <laughs> it really is. Um, so, look at KJ's Instagram, because, wow. Um, Lily's supposed to play Alice. Um, I don't know if Cole Sprouse is going to be playing FP or any of that. I do know that... Mark Consuelos and Kelly Ripa's son, Michael, I believe it's their oldest son, is going to be playing young Hiram, and I'm really stoked about that. So, um, 
this is this is really shaping up to be awesome and I'm so excited for all of it and it's supposed to be episode four in season three so probably um November-ish maybe I don't know but I'm looking so hard <laughs> toward it like oh my god um for Skeet's Dadgram Corner, a week ago or so, Machen posted a picture of her in this amazing red outfit um, with her chin like propped up on her hands like an old Ola Mills <laughs> shoot. And Skeet's, con- oh, her um, caption was like, I'm so innocent, can't you tell? Or something, something to that effect. And Skeet's comment was, I'm not seeing it, devil emoji. And like, guys, as much as I hate the shipper name for FP and Alice. I hate phallus. That's so icky. Um, I fucking love when they fake flirt on Instagram. It's so great. So great. Um, bonus ski Instagram corner. The other day, KJ posted a picture with, uh, Mark Consuelos and Kelly Ripa's younger son, Joaquin, with the caption, just Quino. So I guess that's his nickname, which is super cute. And Camila Comend- Camila Comendez. Are you fucking kidding me, Sheree? Camila Mendez commented with quinoa and then Skeet commented K no <laughs> it was so funny and so dumb oh god I love them and then extra special bonus round this past week both Skeet and Charisma Carpenter who of course played Cordelia my favorite character on Buffy um, they were at a birthday party of a very famous photographer who I don't remember the name of because I'm the literal worst But anyway, they were both there and Charisma posted a picture of them hanging out and my little 90s loving heart just exploded into a million pieces and like I I took the screenshot and I'm going to save it forever and ever like Cordelia and Billy Loomis hanging out together. I've never been more scared for Cordelia's life, Um, but also like, can you imagine Cordy and FP? Like, oh, all the shipping ideas are just blowing my mind right now. And I just love it. Um, And with that epic moment in Skeet, epic moments, really, in Skeet social media history, that will do it for this week's podcast. Be sure to tune in next week when we discover season two, episode seven, Tales from the Dark Side. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review positively, please. Um, if you do have constructive criticism, don't be afraid to share. Just, you know, like do it somewhere other than iTunes. <laughs> um, all iTunes reviews will be read on the podcast. I haven't seen any in a really long time. I would love to see more. If you want to chat, you can reach me at Sharibi on Twitter and Instagram. Um, you can email me any thoughts or skeet stuff or best blossom burns at, um, real housewives of Riverdale at gmail.com. Got a lovely, I got a lovely tweet. Um, super sweet. And I just love hearing that you guys actually like this and it really helps, um, me not think that I'm doing this for no reason and that, um, that I don't totally suck at this. So nice. And thank you. And thank you so much for listening and yay. Until next week, uh, stay out of underground drug caves. Bye, guys. We'll make the winter springtime and jingle, jangle, sing.